Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Austin is adapting to and building the future in real time. I'm Michael Scharf. We are exploring and driving our transformation into the next innovation powerhouse. I'm Jason Scharf. I'm a bio-researcher at UT to the assembly line worker at Tesla, from the musician on 6th Street to the coder at Dell. And with the founders, funders, and early employees of the next great startup, we are all Austin Next. A lot of conversations today talk about the competition and cooperation between San Antonio and Austin, two growing cities separated by a strip of I-35, cities with very different histories, different experiences, but both growing innovation systems. For our San Antonio visit, we start with Port San Antonio. It's the Alamo City's large and dynamic technology and innovation campus. 1,900 acres just southwest of downtown San Antonio and a place that provides connected solutions in an increasingly connected world. Jim Persbach leads the team that is transforming the port's vast campus into a community of leading innovators and a fast-growing economic engine. At the port, people from across the region are connecting with career, education, and entrepreneurial opportunities in world-changing technologies. Previously, Jim was an attorney in private practice with one of the nation's largest law firms, specializing in sectors that included aerospace and advanced manufacturing. Jim, welcome to Austin Next. Thanks for having me. And thanks for hosting us here at Techport. Tell us a little bit about Techport. Well, Techport is the old Kelly Air Force Base and old Air Logistics Center. Uh, it's something I, I'm real proud of. I knew about Kelly Air Force Base before I could find San Antonio on a map. Put together back in 1917, folks in the community with horse-drawn wagons built this place. I've got a picture actually over in the Techport Center of them doing. You got horse-drawn wagons, a steam truck, a bunch of AN4 Jennies in the background. And over the years, it became a very important part of our national history. It was not just an air base and an air logistics center. We had the predecessor of Air Force Cyber Move here back in the 1940s, 1950s. And so you had all these really unique convergence of talents and technologies. Base was bracked, and a, a brilliant decision was made. I take no credit for it, but to privatize some of that work in place. So today, what you have is a facility that's not a real estate play. What we are looking to do here is to attract the type of talent, technologies, people, businesses that support the industries that we have on this campus. Launched that strategy about four years ago, and it's been tremendously successful an ecosystem like y'all talk about. Well, describe, if you will, the San Antonio ecosystem and the part that, that Techport really plays within that. There are a lot of really deep capabilities in San Antonio. The, the one that is near and dear to my heart is aviation. So here at what is now Port San Antonio, it used to be Kelly Air Force Base, the specialty has long been uh, two fronts. It has been the sustainment, the modification, the upgrade, and the specialization of aircraft. And we do that as well as anybody on the planet. 
And then with the Air Force Electronics Non-Kinetic Cyber Communications ISR capabilities, you've got a lot of signals intelligence. You've got a lot of sensors technology. All of that sitting in one silo. Within, I'd say, spitting distance, but right up the street, you have Southwest Research Institute, which is doing truly, truly amazing work, not just in aviation, but truly in aerospace. Things like the New Horizons programs, Interstellar Boundary Explorer, right up the street. In Fort Sam Houston, not too far away from here, you've got the Center for Military Medicine and an awful lot of research, not just the hands-on military medicine, but the research about that. You've got the San Antonio Medical Center. You've got Velocity Texas and the Texas Research and Technology Foundation, all really focused on biomed. And there have been some amazing technologies, the heart stent that have come out of San Antonio, kinetic concepts came out of San Antonio, really some great capabilities. And what we are seeing now, as we start to move in a world where there really isn't a single industry anymore, is that becomes an amazing strength. What you have is the ability to, I'm going to use a pun here, port a lot of those technologies from industry to industry. And that's where we come in. The lever that we control is not just real estate. It is real estate. It is financing. It is marketing. What we are really doing is, like in youth sports, putting together a club team, putting together that connectivity, and bringing people where they can come down, put these talents, put these technologies on a single platform in a single showplace. And the buyers don't need to go anywhere. They just come in. They can scout right there. And what that does is that starts attracting a lot of people who are interested in selling. And I'm not just telling you this is building they come. We've prototyped this for about four and a half years. And in those four and a half years, we have just seen exponential growth on this campus. And we've seen exponential growth within the technology industry, not just here in our part of San Antonio, but throughout the city. And now starting to leak out, frankly, nationally and internationally. Break down for me for a moment the difference between like the building that we're sitting in and the campus versus the area. Obviously, as we were driving up here, we saw a bunch of companies. Is this more of a district? Is this more of a hub? Like, how are we actually making that distinction? What you were on, Kelly Air Force Base, uh, as it was finally configured before the BRAC, was everything on this side of the runway that you're on, about 1,900 acres, and a good chunk of the other side of the runway. We got everything on this side of the runway. So about 1,900 acres is entirely us. All those office buildings you saw with all those big defense industrial names, we own those. All those hangars up and down the runway, we own those. The facilities that have the guys with the security forces uniforms on, we actually own those facilities as well. Those apartments just down the street, we own it. The school, we own it. These buildings that you're sitting in, we own it. What we do is we operate like any other development company. We lease those facilities out. We are an interesting creature. Because this was a BRACT military installation, it get turned over to a local redevelopment authority. We became that local redevelopment authority. In most places in the country, it exists for a very, very brief point in time. And they sell it off to developers, and the developers develop it for a completely different purpose. With Kelly, with Port San Antonio, there was a really interesting situation, a really unique situation. 
the nation couldn't really brack a lot of these assets. You had a facility that had real capabilities and facilities for large aircraft and large engines. And that's expensive and difficult to duplicate. So Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison and Dave Davis in her office wrote into the legislation the ability to privatize in place. There was a public-private partnership that was developed for the engine work, and it was called the Propulsion Business Area. A guy named Gary Ritchie was really the brains behind that. He was an SES in the Air Logistics Center at the time. And what that did is it took the three big engine platforms that were being worked here in San Antonio, gave them all technically to Tinker Air Force Base, but two of them stayed here and were handled by a company called Kelly Aviation Center, which was a joint venture, Lockheed Martin, Standard Aero, and I think GE and Pratt and & Whitney, if I remember correctly, and Chromaloy. Then Boeing stepped in, and they took over the old big hangar, Building 375. The concept originally was they were going to continue to do the C-5 sustainment here. That didn't happen. They started to do the KC-10s and the C-17s, grew that to what is now Boeing's largest global technical operations on the planet. And then for years, what became Port San Antonio kind of struggled to find its way. There were different plans. There were plans to do it like any other redevelopment authority and build a, a business park. When inland ports were all the rage, what is it, about 14 years ago now, they changed the name to Port San Antonio. If you look at the logo, you can see a truck and train and an airplane. But the idea that this was going to be a logistics hub. And it was about four, four and a half years ago that, that we looked at it and we said, we're missing a real opportunity. What we're trying to do is to compete with what a lot of other people have the assets, the resources, and the facilities to do. And they can probably do it better than we can. But there's some things that nobody can do as well as we can. In San Antonio, we have tremendous capabilities on the electronic and information side. We also have tremendous capabilities on the aviation, manufacturing, and energy side. And both of these need to get together. It's like those old Reese's peanut butter commercials, right? <laughs> you get the, the chocolate and the peanut butter together. And I'll tell you how this story came about. I, was, I go to an awful lot of aviation conferences. I like going there because I'm George Clooney at an aviation conference. You know, everybody's staring at their shoes. Everybody's back. I'm cool. But I noticed we were talking less and less and less about aeronautics. We were talking less and less and less about engines and piloting and everything else. We were talking an awful lot about cybersecurity and digital capabilities. And really, nobody in the room knew what they were talking about. Then I meet some of the cool kids, and, and they're creating things like Tech Block. They're hanging out with the VC people. They're wearing ironic T-shirts and slapping stickers all over their laptops. And I do not feel like George Clooney amongst those people. And they've got all these answers. And I said, guys, it'd really be cool if you came and you came to one of these aviation conferences. They know what they said to me? No. We go, we hang out at tech conferences. We don't go hang out with you guys, Grandpa. And, and then uh, a good friend of mine, he, he's a uh, former Air Force, started a uh, cyber company, tremendously successful. Every time he goes to the RSA conference, he brags about a T-shirt he has that says, No Buying Authority. 
because everybody is trying to sell to everybody, right? There's nobody there buying. They're all trying to sell. That's where a lot of this started to take hold. So what you well, have... Wait, 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 wait. Let's, yeah. let's back up a bit. RSA, we're talking about the big encryption company, the big conference they have every year. Yeah. So just kind of setting the table there. I've been there a couple of times. You're right. Nobody's buying. Everybody's selling. All kinds of different stuff, but okay. So we knew we needed to do a couple things here on this campus. We had, uh, about four years ago, massive space. A lot of these buildings a million years old. Some just completely knocked down. If you go down to that Techport Center right now, that was a massive parking lot. And it was a massive, almost destroyed parking lot because I think they laid it down in the late 60s. And so we said the first thing we want to do is we want to bring a lot of kids through this campus. And that's just not just out of the goodness of our heart. That's to bring the talent in. So we stood up a tiny little museum in the old chapel. You ever been to Epcot back in the 80s and the 90s? You know how you'd go through every attraction, but they're also selling you a car, they're selling you a telephone, everything's sponsored by somebody? Here's the beautiful thing about uh, federal acquisition. There are a lot of hoops to jump through if you're trying to sell to the government. If you are showcasing a bona fide exhibit in a bona fide educational and cultural institution, and a general officer or SES or GS-15 walks by, that's all cool. But they also get to see the technologies that are available. They can't buy out of it, but now they're educated as to the marketplace. So we put this together in an old chapel in the old commissary here on the campus. Had about 80,000 kids come through in the past couple of years. We had a couple of startups that we met just through coming down to hang out with this tech stuff. One of which is Plus One Robotics. They're not doing robotic stuff. What they're doing is they're taking artificial intelligence, sensors, technology, supervised autonomy, computer vision, computer sensing, and putting that as a suite onto robots that allows the robot to operate out of a controlled environment and operate in an uncontrolled environment. Another guy, Gabe Garza, dropped a LiDAR array on the back of a 40-pound robot because somebody he knew in real estate said measuring buildings is difficult to do. You spend a lot of money sending in an army of people with tape measures and laser measures and they have to upload everything to CAD. So this takes care of that. Then we're putting them on this platform. We actually took these guys with us to those big aviation conferences. Gabe winds up being named one of eight startups in the world changing aerospace and aviation by Aviation Week, not some fly-by-night publication. And the reason is that there are applications for this technology different from what they were thinking about. The Plus One technology, these folks were looking at it for a logistics application, the Tetris problem and Amazon and FedEx and everybody else. But it could be used for orbital manufacturing, lunar manufacturing, a whole bunch of other capabilities. It's just about bringing these things together. And then the one that I am most proud of, I'm proud of all of them, but this one's near and dear to my heart as an old airplane guy, is the Xyrec robot. It is 72 feet tall. It has a 20 kilowatt laser attached to its arm. And I tell people, you know, we could go and shave the buildings downtown with that thing. But what it does is it takes the coating off of an airplane. 
And the traditional way that we've been doing this for decades is we send about 30 people in with a bunch of hoses and really, really nasty chemicals. And they spray it all down, and it just creates a giant mess. It's dangerous. It's toxic. Nobody gets a whole lot of money. It's a disaster. This robot takes 60% less time, saves about 500 gallons of some of the nastiest chemicals you've ever seen, about 4,000 gallons of wastewater, and 30 tons of carbon dioxide per airplane, reduces all the weight to about two and a half pounds of trash you can drop in your household garbage, completely non-toxic. And you look at that, and what you can do is not only save the operational cost, but because you don't need to put it in that environmental protection, you save all of the capital cost of building these very, very specialized, very, very expensive specialized hangars to do that. And when you look at a military system where we've been funding just a couple fractions of our expected sustainment costs, so a whole bunch of the fleet is grounded. When you look at a commercial fleet that has had tremendous cost pressures as we commoditize that industry, that becomes a game changer. That, that becomes readiness, that becomes reliability, that becomes dispatch efficiency. Oh, I'm just thinking of all the Spirit airplanes that have to have that yellow yep. paint taken off now and repainted. But And here's the beautiful part. The guy who came up with that idea is a computer software salesman. I have no idea how he came up with the idea, but Every, he did. Everybody's got a side hustle. That's what it he is. He got a side hustle. But that's the magic of what we're doing. So we spent $70 million building that tech port center. And... It's a machine and it's an experiment. We're by design never going to make a profit off of it because all the profits go into our foundation to fund educational programs for kids. So step one, for years people would complain, there's nowhere to eat on this campus, there's no entertainment, it's an old air base, it's kind of boring. Now we've got a food hall, we've got a bar, we've got a gaming center, we've got concerts and gaming competitions. We've created an entertainment district. We've got the museum. So you can come in, uh, we can bring in just armies of kids. We want to do about 150,000 kids a year who can get hands-on with this technology, who can be inspired. We've got a simulated security operations center in there. We've got robots that are being developed by companies like Astroport and Exarc to do lunar mining and lunar exploration. And they've got a foundation called the WEX Foundation that Sam and his friends put together. Same scientists, same technology, working with kids from 8th to 12th grade. Then you've got the Capital Factory sitting in what we call the tech transfer space. So there's conferences being done. There's discussions with innovators. Uh, Stephanie Garcia on our team, just wonderful young woman, really turbocharged the SATX robotics meetup. And I went to one just a couple of weeks ago, right before they all took off to Chicago at the biggest robotics show on the planet. They were invited by the guys from Silicon Valley. She had about 150 people there in that room. You had PhDs, you had roboticists, you had people from industry. You had folks with more piercings and more tats. You had people with pet robots. You had artists. But most important, you had about 20 kids, many of which are from the neighborhoods right around us, all sitting up front with Lego robots talking to these people. One of the guys who gave a presentation plays bass in a metal band. It, it was just a wonderful gathering of people. 
And these are where these startups are coming from. And that's also the sustainment part of it, because when you start when they're in middle school and high school and you get them through that part of their education, obviously, then they go off to the schools that have those programs and we hope they come back home whether it's San Antonio or Austin, doesn't matter. We hope they come back home and they come back to our companies. Absolutely. So we've talked about cyber. We've talked about aerospace. We've talked about robotics. Are those the three big industries here in Techport? They're the three big industries that we have directly. Okay. And then you asked about connectivity. So an area of connectivity that's growing that, that has me excited for a bunch of reasons is with application of those technologies into healthcare and vice versa. So the, the first thing that, that I want to talk about is this outfit called Knight Aerospace. They've been around for years, small little company. What they've developed now is a module, looks like a shipping container. And it can go in the back of pretty much any beat down old cargo airplane you want. And it is a flying hospital pod. It is a flying surgical environment. And this is a game changer. We have had specialized hospital aircraft for decades. They are very, very specialized, very, very expensive, very difficult to operate. If you can drop this into the back of a C-130, C-17, C-5, what have you, not only can you take wounded warriors and transport them without the problems that come with putting a sick or wounded person in the back of an airplane, you've got the ability to fly the hospital to where these people are. So it becomes a game changer right off the bat. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I uh, represented a company way back when, and they had approached the, the military, specifically the Marines, had approached Northrop. And they said to Northrop, you know, remember that show MASH with all the helicopters flying in? Well, the problem is when an N1A1 Abrams tank is doing 60 miles an hour, that's too slow. We need something smaller that does it. Northrop obviously raises their hand and says, you know, we're really good at miniaturization. And this spin-out ended up doing a uh, stretcher that I think they're still on the back of Air Force One and Air Force Two. But it, it's interesting because the skill sets that you talk about, cyber, basically computer systems, you talk about aircraft and avionics, which you're talking about sensors and you're talking about very, very highly complex engineering marvels. And you talk about how that's moved to healthcare. But I, I want to take a step back. I want to look at some of the companies. I want to look at, you've mentioned three or four that are doing really well. Who are the ones that are behind them that are coming next? There are a, a host of them coming next. So there's Knight Aerospace. Mm-hmm. Some of these robotics companies, your plus ones and others, there's some that I can't quite mention yet. Okay. And then, of course, there's the good old-fashioned Boeings and Northrop's and Lockheed, CNF Technologies and CACIs. It's bringing those folks together. And the biggest challenge that I think the big OEMs have is you become really, really good at what you do. And you start putting these processes and these procedures together. And effectively, what you're doing is you're looking at the problem the same way over and over and over again. It's not that you can't do brilliant things. Northrop, Boeing, Lockheed are always going to do brilliant things. Brilliant people make brilliant things happen. Sometimes you need somebody who looks at the problem from a different perspective. And when they look at that problem from a different perspective, 
you can solve something that people didn't realize was the challenge. So not healthcare, but when you look at things like space-based power generation, and people look at me like I'm nuts when I talk about putting satellites into orbit and wirelessly beaming the power back down to Earth. The technology is there. We all know how to do it. The challenge is how do you do that in a way that isn't, forgive the pun, astronomically expensive? And when you look at things like the space station, we're sending shuttles up with astronauts who are going out and doing spacewalks. It's a miracle of technology, and it is human achievement. But it's shockingly expensive, and you can't really do it at scale. Right. If you can take some of the technologies that Plus One is working on, and you can do that to port in that scalability and that cost, so now you've got the ability for robots to do it, in uncontrolled environments without getting a fraction of an inch out of shape and having to need a human to go out there. That LIDAR system, that 40-pound robot doesn't need life support to get to the moon, doesn't care if it ever comes back, but it'll find you the lunar cave that has the right floor, the right diameter, and the right ceiling to start building that habitation. What this is doing is this is reducing the cost. The night aerospace medical pod Perhaps not groundbreaking in terms of putting a medical pod in there, but the concept of instead of trying to modify an airplane, supplemental type certificates and everything else, we're just putting a shipping container back there. In retrospect, easy. But it really takes somebody who's looking at it from a different perspective. There's another issue. Last year, I went through a bunch of colon cancer treatment. I'm fine now. Go get yourself a colonoscopy. I <laughs> uh, don't put it off. But I got up close and personal with a surgical robot. You ever seen these things? They're fascinating. And so you've got a surgeon who's about eight feet away from you, looking at an augmented reality screen, controlling joysticks, and doing things that a human being poss- couldn't possibly do because of the way we're jointed, because of pulses, because we get tired, a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. But it's only eight feet away. Now, if you can work on things like the latency lag on the communications, cybersecurity, and you can start to increase that distance, you've got the ability to really change the world. We've got a hurricane about to hit Florida. So it's not all about warfare. There is a system, a Genesis system. We're going to be bringing that here to this campus. David Stuckenberg, Steve Quash, and Stuckenberg put that together. It's an atmospheric water generation system but it uses a liquid chemical catalyst instead of an evaporative system. So the water that comes out doesn't need to be filtered. You've essentially merged the hydrogen and the oxygen atoms. It's distilled water. Right now, it still requires a lot of power. But these are the things. On the military side, we are sustaining a tremendous number of casualties, just shipping food and water and supplies to the front lines. These systems would save lives right away. In disaster areas, uh, ultimately getting to the point of solving water security, but it takes these different perspectives, and it takes people willing to invest in them at a small scale because we have a tendency as humans to try and solve problems big all at once, and you can't solve it all at once. Let let me hit you with a proposition because we've talked a lot about the Austin ecosystem and and we talk a lot about Austin's superpowers. Given 
what you've just described. If I were to talk about San Antonio's superpowers, the first thing I would have to say is collaboration. You guys have brought together some very different kinds of people and very different ideas. And those creative collisions that we always talk about when we talk about getting human beings together, you've created a space for that. And this is pretty amazing. I don't, I don't want to make light of it by saying, yeah, this is the superpower kind of thing. But every benefit comes with a struggle. So what do you see are the struggles here in San Antonio today? What are the hard parts that you guys are faced with? The first hard part we're faced with, but it's a, every community in this country and this planet face it, is a easy tendency toward defeatism and negativity. And every community you go to, if you go behind the surface of the marketing, even Austin, there is this underlying imposter system uh, syndrome of we're not good enough. We really can't do this. And that permeates everything. I can't tell you how frustrating it is when there is this constant drumbeat of that's too big, that's too ambitious. So we just launched, you can see a rendering of it behind you. We're going to build a 200-foot-tall building here on this campus. Be somewhere between 12 and 15 stories. It's no big deal, right? It's shockingly not a big deal. I was flying out to go speak at a conference in Spain a month or two ago. And a friend of mine grabs me at the airport. We had just started talking about this project. And he said, Jim, that's a, that's a big, ambitious, expensive undertaking, especially for that part of town. I, you know, a lot of people a little nervous about that. I said, yeah, we'll be fine, right? We've done similar stuff before. And I hopped on the plane. But it kind of, you know, it's running through my mind. And I land in Chicago to catch my connecting flight. And you look out the window in Chicago and you're out there by Schaumburg and everything else. There are miles of 12 story buildings, like somebody's growing corn, right? It's not that we are small time in San Antonio. It's that you run into this. We're not good enough. And there are a lot of people in San Antonio that seem to think that the center of all smartness and hipness and everything else is up in Austin. I know a lot of folks in Austin. My family doesn't live too far from Austin. I knew Austin when all you had was three UHF channels up there, and it wasn't that long ago. And I know that if you're being honest with the folks in Austin, underneath the hipness and the coolness and everything else is this belief that we're not quite as good as San Jose or Boston or somewhere else. Here's the magic that I see that, that we're managing to capture here. Sometimes you got to be tough when you're coaching. Sometimes you need to tell people they're just not doing good enough. Sometimes you need to grab somebody and kind of give them a hug. And some of this, one of the reasons I'm so proud of Stephanie Garcia and our group is she is reaching out to some of the most brilliant people. Some of them know they're brilliant because they have PhDs. Some of them don't know they're brilliant. And what she's really doing is she's inspiring them to believe in themselves. There is a woman that, that I am just an absolute fan of. Her name is Shantae Hall. She's a PhD. She is a former Air Force, former tech sergeant. And she has taken it upon herself to go out to 
a whole host of bases where you've got transitioning service members. And these transitioning service members, primarily enlisted, they're scared, right? You came out of your parents' house, 17, 18 years old, you enlisted, you essentially had the military as your next set of parents. And what she does is she not only inspires them to believe they can do something, she teaches them how to operate in the civilian world. And she can match them up so they can go out and interview. I went to one of her conferences and she had a LinkedIn photographer there. And before everybody left, they had a LinkedIn headshot and they had a resume put together that wasn't a whole bunch of military jargon. If you spend the time to actually show people they can do something and you spend the time to get to know people, you're not only doing something that is good just from a human standpoint, from a, at the end of the day, I'm running a real estate development company, right? I, I got to fill up a bunch of land. I, I got a board that's looking at me and asking for my ROI every day of the week. You fill that up because you fill it up with people who are willing to spend the money to be there. And so this is the magic of San Antonio. There was a metal band that played. We did a rock and roll concert there, and it was old, old bands. The crowd was all people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. I want to take a step back. I want to look at some of the companies. I want to look at, you've mentioned three or four that are doing really well. Who are the ones that are behind them that are coming next? There are a, a host of them coming next. So there's Knight Aerospace. Mm-hmm. Some of these robotics companies, your Plus Ones and others. There's some that I can't quite mention yet. And then, of course, there's the good old-fashioned Boeings and Northrop's and Lockheed, CNF Technologies and CACIs. It's bringing those folks together. And the biggest challenge that I think the big OEMs have is you become really, really good at what you do. And you start putting these processes and these procedures together. And effectively, what you're doing is you're looking at the problem the same way over and over and over again. It's not that you can't do brilliant things. Northrop, Boeing, Lockheed are always going to do brilliant things. Brilliant people make brilliant things happen. Sometimes you need somebody who looks at the problem from a different perspective. And when they look at that problem from a different perspective, you can solve something that people didn't realize was the challenge. So not healthcare, but when you look at things like space-based power generation, And people look at me like I'm nuts when I talk about putting satellites into orbit and wirelessly beaming the power back down to Earth. The technology is there. We all know how to do it. The challenge is, how do you do that in a way that isn't, forgive the pun, astronomically expensive? And when you look at things like the space station, we're sending shuttles up with astronauts who are going out and doing spacewalks. It's a miracle of technology, and it is human achievement, but it's shockingly expensive and you can't really do it at scale. Right. If you can take some of the technologies that Plus One is working on and you can do that to port in that scalability and that cost, so now you've got the ability for robots to do it in uncontrolled environments without getting a fraction of an inch out of shape and having to need a human to go out there, That LIDAR system, that 40-pound robot doesn't need life support to get to the moon, doesn't care if it ever comes back, but it'll find you the lunar cave that has the right floor, the right diameter, and the right ceiling to start building that habitation. What this is doing is this is reducing the cost. The night aerospace medical pod 
perhaps not groundbreaking in terms of putting a medical pod in there, but the concept of instead of trying to modify an airplane, supplemental type certificates and everything else, we're just putting a shipping container back there. In retrospect, easy. But it really takes somebody who's looking at it from a different perspective. There, there's another issue. Last year, I uh, went through a bunch of colon cancer treatment. I'm fine now. Go get yourself a colonoscopy. <laughs> uh, don't put it off. But I got up close and personal with a surgical robot. You ever seen these things? They're fascinating. And so you've got a surgeon who's about eight feet away from you, looking at an augmented reality screen, controlling joysticks, and doing things that a human being poss couldn't possibly do because of the way we're jointed, because of pulses, because we get tired, a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. But it's only eight feet away. Now, if you can work on things like the latency lag on the communications, cybersecurity, and you can start to increase that distance, you've got the ability to really change the world. We've got a hurricane about to hit Florida. So it's not all about warfare. There is a system, a Genesis system. We're going to be bringing that here to this campus. David Stuckenberg, Steve Quash, and Stuckenberg put that together. It's an atmospheric water generation system but it uses a liquid chemical catalyst instead of an evaporative system. So the water that comes out doesn't need to be filtered. You've essentially merged the hydrogen and the oxygen atoms. It's distilled water. Right now, it still requires a lot of power. But these are the things. On the military side, we are sustaining a tremendous number of casualties just shipping food and water and supplies to the front lines. These systems would save lives right away. In disaster areas, uh, ultimately getting to the point of solving water security, but it takes these different perspectives, and it takes people willing to invest in them at a small scale because we have a tendency as humans to try and solve problems big all at once, and you can't solve it all at once. Let, let me hit you with a proposition because sure. we've talked a lot about the Austin ecosystem and and we talk a lot about Austin's superpowers. Given what you've just described, if I were to talk about San Antonio's superpowers, the first thing I would have to say is collaboration. You guys have brought together some very different kinds of people and very different ideas. And those creative collisions that we always talk about when we talk about getting human beings together, you've created a space for that. And this is pretty amazing. I don't, I don't want to make light of it by saying, yeah, this is the superpower kind of thing. But every benefit comes with a struggle. So what do you see are the struggles here in San Antonio today? What are the hard parts that you guys are faced with? The first hard part we're faced with, but it's a every community in this country and this planet face it is a easy tendency toward defeatism and negativity and every community you go to if you go behind the surface of the marketing even austin there is this underlying imposter system uh, syndrome of we're not good enough we really can't do this and that permeates everything i can't tell you how frustrating it is when there is this constant drumbeat of that's too big, that's too ambitious. So we just launched, you can see a rendering of it behind you, 
we're going to build a 200-foot-tall building here on this campus. Be somewhere between 12 and 15 stories. It's no big deal, right? It's shockingly not a big deal. I was flying out to go speak at a conference in Spain a month or two ago. And a friend of mine grabs me at the airport. We had just started talking about this project. And he said, Jim, that's a, that's a big, ambitious, expensive undertaking, especially for that part of town. I, you know, a lot of people a little nervous about that. I said, yeah, we'll be fine, right? We've done similar stuff before. And I hopped on the plane. But it kind of, you know, it's running through my mind. And I land in Chicago to catch my connecting flight. And you look out the window in Chicago and you're out there by Schaumburg and everything else, there are miles of 12-story buildings, like somebody's growing corn, right? It's not that we are small-time in San Antonio. It's that you run into this, we're not good enough. And there are a lot of people in San Antonio that seem to think that the center of all smartness and hipness and everything else is up in Austin. I know a lot of folks in Austin. My family doesn't live too far from Austin. I knew Austin when all you had was three UHF channels up there, and it wasn't that long ago. And I know that if you're being honest with the folks in Austin, underneath the hipness and the coolness and everything else is this belief that we're not quite as good as San Jose or Boston or somewhere else. Here's the magic that I see that, that we're managing to capture here. Sometimes you got to be tough when you're coaching. Sometimes you need to tell people they're just not doing good enough. Sometimes you need to grab somebody and kind of give them a hug. And some of this, one of the reasons I'm so proud of Stephanie Garcia and our group is she is reaching out to some of the most brilliant people. Some of them know they're brilliant because they have PhDs. Some of them don't know they're brilliant. And what she's really doing is she 